Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. I recently caught up with Matt Flannery from Anum, and we dove into his area of expertise, DevSecOps. We wanted to unpack some of the more nuanced elements of this space. We covered a variety of topics, including incorporating security into a delivery cycle, his approach on how to do this, and some of the gaps that he sees in this space. If you'd like to know more about how Matt can help your organization with DevSecOps, then please keep on listening. Okay, so Matt, I know that we've been trying to coordinate this yeah. interview for like two or three months. I know yep. that you are now a new dad. So I am. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, yes. are, you are you getting sleep? <laughs> a little bit. Um, yeah, right. A lot of people accused me of being crazy for wanting to start a business at the same time and having a child, but got to live life on the edge sometimes. I think throwing yourself in the deep end and then seeing how far you get is uh, the best way to be. It teaches you survival skills. So I really appreciate us doing this interview. I think I actually found out about you 2016, 17. I think it's when you originally started the DevSecOps meetup from memory. I think we were in chat back then. Yes, that's that's right. That's how I knew about what you were doing. So I definitely was keen to get you on the podcast and (laughs) as so many times as we missed each other, but super keen to dive into your knowledge on the DevSecOps side. But before we do that, can we let's talk about your journey? Can you walk me through where you started to what you're doing now? Okay, so look, I guess I've done a variety of things. <laughs> I started my career off in network engineering. Mm-hmm. I moved towards network security, then I pivoted towards application and infrastructure security. Uh, I was consulting for cyber. Uh, for a good two years there and then found my way into uh, Ticker Tech and I became their, I guess, their very first DevOps person. I was still very interested in security at that time. So I, I lent on, you know, leaned on my experience to, you know, uh, incorporate what I could. Um, and so, you know, as early as 2016, I was, you know, playing around with things like compliance as code, um, you know, trying to implement uh, PCI DSS uh certification and the way that we were achieving that was you know the the standard approach of tokenization reducing the cde or the cardholder data environment and that was made a lot easier by leveraging you know devops practices so i think it was really then at that point that i i started to really appreciate i guess it wasn't called devsecops at that point (laughs) so whatever it was i i drew and i was drawn to it pretty much from then um so yeah i looked at you know, who, who were some bigger players in the market. Um, and I joined a company called Struck Digital. It was, I think it was February 2017. So at the start of 2017, uh, we did a live demo, which uh, pretty much it was a live demonstration of, of what a hacker would actually do on a, you know, on a typical kind of reconnaissance mission, uh, gathering data about a target and then, you know, trying to probe the application to try and find an issue with it. And so we demonstrated uh, exploiting a vulnerability in an app and then showed how that it could be detected and remediated um, using Kibana that we configured as a, as a seam and uh, Puppet for the configuration management. And so we automatically triggered a, a patch uh, to patch a box after an attack was detected. So that was in 2017. Obviously, things have changed a lot since then. 
Mm-hmm. So I've just been kind of kind of going with it and growing. Um, so I ended up at Deloitte after Strut. Uh, they were bought by by Deloitte, uh, and so composed the Deloitte DevOps practice at the time. It's probably changed names now, as that organization is crazy big. Um, but yeah, it was probably at Deloitte where I got the most exposure uh, to things like this. So you know, we were building out CI/CD pipelines that incorporated security, so SAST and DAST and VA. Um, and I developed a, an automated cloud security assessment tool, um, which we ran on customer engagements. And it was probably during my experience at Deloitte that I, I grew the most passionate about this. And so I, I started the DevSecOps Sydney meetup in mm, that's the right. start of last it was, year. Well, so I thought it was 2017. I don't know. Every year kind of feels a little bit blurred into the next yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was, it was the start of last year or maybe maybe at end the end. Of the, May, end of 2017, yeah, that's probably what yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. So, yeah, and the reason why I did that was, you know, I I, I really liked public speaking, um, you know, and I had generally I had pretty good feedback about the talks that I gave because they were often live demos and very technical, and I appreciated that because I was trying to do something a little bit different, and so... Mm-hmm. I took a similar kind of philosophy and approach with my meetup. You know, I, I vet heavily the the speakers that are going to talk. Um, you know, we, we don't just rinse and repeat it every month. Um, if, if you haven't followed the event closely, it's probably run every one, uh, every two to three months, actually. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we do that is so that we can, you know, make sure there's high levels of quality um, and it's not boring. <laughs> I think the whole meetup things, it can become a little bit uh, daunting as there's mm. just so many of them. So that was... There is. Yeah, yeah. So I, I had that in mind, and and it's been a big success. You know, we get on average like a hundred plus people, so doing something, right? <laughs> so I think, I mean, most people likely listening to this interview are probably intimately familiar with DevOps and even DevSecOps. But just in case, can you give yeah. like a helicopter view and then perhaps drill down a bit towards at the coalface? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure. So, look, I think for me, uh, DevSecOps is the logical marriage to, I guess, the the last contented in the race of getting an organization's product to market uh, quickly and reliably or securely. Um, security traditionally, uh, you know, moves slowly uh, due to, for example, SEV1 or P1 outages and various issues, which result in, you know, let's face it, job loss. Mm-hmm. Um, much like operations, however, unlike ops teams, security teams are pressured to ensure that brand and reputational damage is, well, you know, mitigated to prevent said organizations ending up in uh, in the news, like Equifax, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, I think DevSecOps is really just an extension of DevOps. Uh, if we look at DevOps traditionally, the whole the whole purpose of that was to you know break down the silos between teams and encourage rapid iteration of products. And the way to achieve that was by implementing certain processes and leveraging tools that made lives easier. Uh, and so DevSecOps kind of just is an evolution of that, a natural progression, if you will. However, it tackles issues such as compliance, where if you look at PCI, for example, there's literally a requirement in the DSS that you must have a segregation of duties. And so DevSecOps isn't just about tooling and um, technology, but it's also about processes and how you can overcome issues like that. 
So do you think when you talk about processes, uh, one thing that I've learned in my career is that when we're trying to implement a new process, I think from a behavioral point of view, people don't really like that. So what are some of the hurdles that you've, you've overcome because this is sort of like a new thing and people in industry can be a little bit on the back foot when something new comes yeah. in, they have to adopt to that. Yeah. So can you get your thoughts on, on what yeah, that looks yeah. like originally sort of implementing this within an organization? Definitely. Um, so it's pretty interesting question, actually. I guess there's two questions there. So yes, I do think behavior contributes towards, I guess, uh, a bit of a lack of adoption, um, but there are other other reasons too. And yes, it's sort of a new thing, but hey, Docker was sort of a new thing once upon a time. And, um, you know, I was an early adopter of that in production and I'm glad because it's kind of now the, the de facto standard. Mm-hmm. And similarly, uh, DevOps was, you know, not too long ago, it was a buzzword as well. <laughs> it was. Um, <laughs> and then it just becomes part of the furniture. It's like everyone... Yeah arcs up about it and then it just becomes yep. a new normal thing. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's, it's, it's one of the hottest skills in the market undeniably right now, DevOps. Um, and so DevSecOps is, is a look, it, it used to only really be something I heard about when people came to my meetup. <laughs> um, <laughs> and two years ago, I considered it to be a, a bit of a buzzword to be honest, but now it's being adopted as a practice within organizations, you know, enterprises and mid market companies and, and startups alike are, are all talking about it. And they're all asking the question of, how to achieve it. Um, and look, I guess there are a few different drivers. For example, a lot of organizations are starting to slowly pay attention more. So if I, you know, like audit requirements are present, such as NIST or PCI or APRA or whatever. Um, and yeah, uh, and, uh, to extend on what I was talking about with, with DevOps, another driver is just the, the natural progression of, of DevOps itself to incorporate security. Um, you know, when, when these DevOps programs and bodies of work are getting implemented, uh, the security team members and security uh, experts within organizations are kind of scratching their head thinking, okay, well, now my job's a million times harder because you're releasing into production a thousand times a day. <laughs> uh, yep. And so security needs to start to become incorporated within the software development life cycles, within application delivery pipelines, where it makes sense. And by employing a, a well-thought-out DevSecOps program of work, you can achieve that. So can you define when you say what makes sense? What do you mean specifically when you say that? Sure. So look, one of the issues, uh, one of the, probably the biggest issue I've seen is people are trying to run before they can walk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I mean by that is if you're not even doing DevOps, how are you supposed to incorporate security into a DevOps program? I think there there are a lot of gaps and it's based mainly on, old world thinking that security mm-hmm. is a bit of a silo. Yes. And so uh, as long as teams responsible for the creation of code, the delivery of code, uh, you know, and the sticking to approved user access and network rules and whatever else, uh, many of them think that, you know, nothing is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I both know that that's simply not the case. And, yes. You know, I've, I've, <laughs> I've seen it in the real world. Uh, you know, many non-security teams consider seem as acceptable whilst any security professional will tell you, well, that's simply the start. Uh, once mm-hmm. you have visibility of your data, you need to do something with it. Probably another I- issue, which is more interesting from a security lens, is the lack of contextual understanding as well. So, for example, how security issues or risks actually affect application development and infrastructure operations. And I can drill, I can drill into a bit of an example here recently. 
uh, I was working with a customer and they walked us through the agile processes that they are using internally. For example, very early on in you know their feature planning stage, they're incorporating this uh, this checklist, right? Um, it's just like best practices, like a list of tick boxes that they're trying to appease. And look, the OWASP top 10 is great and all, but that doesn't help you understand any of the contextual risks that may be associated with a, a feature or a particular product release. For example, something as seemingly innocent as a favicon or a QR code could have, you know, implications. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's okay. Let's drill down a little bit more on the DevSecOps thing. So, what what's your experience? The things that you change, things that you do again, and the thinking behind those decisions. Considering you've done this in a range of organisations, you've been at it at the inception stage of it. So, I'm really keen to get your opinion and your advice uh, to see how that whole paradigm has shifted over time. I personally believe that traditional DevOps is, if not already dead, it's it's on the way up. And there's a huge focus on things with with great security implications that are contributing to this. Uh, so, for example, take IoT, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this means more connectivity, more threats, more attacks. And if a kid with a credit card uh, can spin up, you know, multiple gigabytes of connectivity and DDoS a small country for days, knock it off the internet. Well, what does that say about the current threat landscape? And just like the threat landscape, DevSecOps itself has evolved too. You're right. At the start of 2017, in February or March, uh, I did this presentation, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, where we showed a a live demo of, you know, typical recon techniques and uh, demonstrated the exploitation of a vulnerability uh, in an app in real time and how that could be detected and automatically remediated. Now, we used a bunch of different tools. Um, Don't need to go into them. But now... We're seeing a lot in the container security space, like real-time application security, et cetera, runtime application security. And we're seeing more and more security being baked within an application development and delivery process, which is pretty exciting. And I don't just mean, you know, plugging in Nessus or Acunetics or Burp Suite into a CICD pipeline and calling it done. People are starting to think about how security can fit much earlier on in the application lifecycle. So for example, uh, threat planning at um, you know the very beginning of, of feature planning, um, and that's that's proved to be effective in some cases. As up application architecture delivery in cloud has, I guess, rapidly changed in the last you know three to five years. So is so is security. Let's face it. All of the major vendors are now looking to get in on the cloud security and the DevSecOps train. And as a result, as a result of that, we're seeing some pretty huge MNAs. You know, this this makes life interesting certainly. And it's a good example of how the ecosystem is constantly evolving and changing. To emphasize that, uh, actually, I made a, a little infographic recently on, on LinkedIn where I attempted to categorize like various tooling, right, and help mm-hmm. paint a picture of what the DevSecOps ecosystem currently looks like. Now, I made that less than a month ago, and I'd probably already need to change it dramatically. Well, okay. <laughs> I think just a lot of planning and vision um, early goes a long way. Um, you know, we've we've been... Some of our customers, for example, we've been working to implement some pretty innovative solutions, if I may say so myself, uh, such as CI/CD pipelines that bake in security and implement systems that continuously test applications uh, post their deployment, as well as implement processes and frameworks around agile delivery, which make a lot of sense um, from a security standpoint, and it incorporates it in an effective way. So do you think people struggle with vision? You mentioned just before appropriate planning and vision. Yeah. Do you think that's something that a lot of people still aren't sort of grasping and not really taking into consideration? Look, I think there's a lot to consider. 
in regards to that. I mean, mm-hmm. CISOs, for example, have budgets. Um, they have a lot of risks. Uh, they don't want to be. They don't want their company to end up on the news, right? So they're already doing very careful planning as it is. Uh, let's face it; otherwise, they wouldn't be in those roles. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that you know, there's there's so much that you need to consider that. It's just getting to the point where you, in many cases, you need to bring in a team of experts to help. You know, it's the, the infographic thing that I just mentioned. That's a good example. If the ecosystem is so rapidly changing and evolving and, you know, uh, the latest and greatest tool that you thought solved your problem is now redundant in a, in a week's time, um, how can you possibly keep up with that? You can't. And it's hard. You, you can't. And so the simple answer is, careful planning to, you know, standardize on a, on a core set of tools and implement them in a, a meaningful way, that's going to set you up for greater success than even trying to keep up. One of the things you said then that I, I find interesting that obviously within a week things could be redundant, which, which is very true. Do you think people need to be more aware that they need to know, I don't know this, but hey, this mm. Matt Flattery dude knows and his team knows. Do you think there's sort of, there's still a naivety there around, oh, well, no, we've got Jennifer, who's our appointed DevSecOps chick, but she's not necessarily really got a finger on the pulse. Do you think that people just are not quite there yet? Like they have this idea that they've got someone internally, but like you said, they might not necessarily have their finger on the pulse yeah. to your level, so yeah. to speak. And look, that's fine. You know, look, I'll shamelessly plug what we've been doing so far as it's been pretty effective. Um, You know, we've worked with a lot of customers who are trying to take on these initiatives themselves. And so to support that, actually, uh, we developed a bit of a a framework called the the A&M DevSecOps Maturity Assessment Model. And it's something that we developed primarily to help businesses align real metrics with, you know, their various implementations Mm -hmm. uh, so that they can tangibly measure technology processes and get some meaningful results. Um, so for example, that DevSecOps maturity model that I just mentioned, it evaluates things like, you know, the customer CI CD or individually their CI and their CD, uh, their testing, their security hygiene, uh, the developer culture and so forth. And so far, the clients that we've worked with using this assessment model have all further engaged us to lead and implement initiatives. You know, organizations could of course look at developing their own model mm-hmm. and some do. However, I just think we've we've spent a lot of time perfecting this um, to provide a meaningful gap analysis and Mm -hmm. some really awesome recommendations often are coming out of it. So I can personally recommend that. But on the flip side, there's no reason why customers can't do that themselves or something similar. As I said, it all goes back to the careful planning, right? If you just look at your organization without bias and look at where the gaps are, it's only when you understand where the problems lie that you'll be able to come up with a roadmap for resolving them, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about gaps. Where do you believe the gaps are in this space at the moment? Mm. So, look, I kind of touched on this earlier. I think that, that probably the biggest gap is just in education and understanding. <laughs> Security is a really strange industry. Um, <laughs> Define really strange, is. though. <laughs> look, I, I think that a lot of people are just trying to jump on to the DevSecOps bandwagon right now with not a lot of understanding as to what it actually means. Or That's what, what they it- always do. The next <laughs> thing the AI, machine learning. Yeah, yeah, totally. So so as, as a real-world example, uh, I mentioned this before, we were very recently, as early as three weeks ago, uh, sitting in workshopping with a customer, and they walked through you know, their Agile STLC. So they walked us through their CICD pipeline. They walked us through you know, how, how 
something gets from an idea to code on a laptop and deployed to production um, mm-hmm. through, through that entire process. Uh, and so one of the things that we we found really interesting is that this particular customer was using a, a bit of a checklist at, at the, the start of their feature planning process and all uh, you know features that were being developed um, post-commit ex- as, as well had to marry up these, these this checklist. The thing that was interesting, though, about those two individual checklists is that, well, they were actually different. And so I think that that could become confusing for a developer in some cases because, you know, well, which one do they follow, right? Um, and so that's what I mean about the lack of understanding. Even though you, mm-hmm. you're having this, it might be the greatest checklist in the world. It doesn't really matter. All it's really trying to do is look at, you know, some very basic things like is your data sanitized, you know, is this, you know, is there an SSL cert on this domain, whatever the checklist is. It doesn't actually look contextually at the application or the feature you're developing. So, for example, Favicon is a very, very uh, interesting one to use because uh, it, it seems entirely innocent. However, you know, as, as we saw recently, there, there are issues with that. And so I think that it's it's really important to consider that. Um, that's probably one of the biggest gaps. It's just that development teams just don't have the experience. They don't know what to look for. And that's not a reflection on their training or education, because in my personal opinion, it's better to take a blank slate and train them up anyway. It's just one of the contributing factors. Behavior within organizations is a bit of another one. Before DevOps was as widely adopted as what it is today, there was a lot of contention between development and operations teams. You know, no one would put their hand up and try and help the other person. It'd just be like, yep, that's not my job and move on with their, their other tasks. Security is kind of the same issue. And, and I've, I've seen this before. You know, a developer will ask a question to a security guy and he'll be like, hey, well, what do I do with this? And he'll say, okay, here's you know, my suggestions and recommendations and you should do this and shouldn't do this. And you know, I've, I've literally seen it happen more often than not where that developer or dev team will walk away and say, mm, nah, we're not going to do that. That's going to take way too long. Um, <laughs> I've heard that before. And so I think that that behavior needs to change and DevSecOps is a way to support that change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing to implement specific tooling in a CI/CD pipeline or, you know, implement systems that do things to monitor your applications and test your applications. It's another to integrate them tightly with your development processes. And I don't just mean, you know, IDE plugins, I, I literally mean having a bit more conscience or, uh, consciousness around security itself. Um, so the, the feature planning thing is a really good one. Uh, in that particular scenario, it very well may make sense to have a security you know, um, guy there present talking about the, the kinds of contextual risks associated with those um, individual features, right? Because mm. I mean, in my experience, uh, like working large enterprise myself, we've seen I've seen this behaviour. Uh, and mm. one of the things that I find really interesting that I've spoken to many people about. So you spoke about developers. Obviously, they don't necessarily have the context because that's not what they teach you when you are are learning um, engineering, right? Yeah. And so one of the things is you sort of spoke about before, like old mate goes over the security guys like nuts nah, stuff. Like oh, I'm going to do my own thing anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because they're really building for functionality, not necessarily for security reasons. And I think one of the things that I took out of that example that you used was probably how security people are delivering what they're saying they need to do to make it secure Mm -hmm. is probably in a very rigmaroled roundabout way uh, that looks quite overwhelming then. And so maybe there's this disconnect even on the security end that it's like, yeah, cool. I really get what you're having to say. And I've even seen in my experience when you've got an architecture team, you've got a development team, it's like, yeah, cool. So I've just been handed this, uh, 
this from the architect and uh, yeah, that, that looks crazy. Like I'm basically not going to build it how they've designed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've yep. seen a lot of that behavior as well. So I'd, I'd like to get your opinion on how, so use that example before Dev tries to do the right thing, ask the security guy, he's given him something that probably is a bit overwhelming, mm-hmm. doesn't quite get it. And he's gone stuff that, how would you advise someone how mm-hmm. they should approach it to get the outcome of the developer implementing the security that the architect or whoever has recommended? That's a really good question. And I think the simple answer is just better collaboration um, and, and more rapid iteration, probably in smaller chunks in a lot of cases. Uh, so for example, if you can provide your developers with rapid feedback on finding you know, either bugs or flat out vulnerabilities in logic, not just a package is out of date and has some RCE, if you can rapidly provide that feedback during the development lifecycle back to the developers, it's going to be more digestible for them. And thankfully, uh, with the advent of things such as, you know, uh, CICD and the various technologies and tooling around that, security engineering teams, as in the ones that develop tools, are developing tools to fit into those pipelines. And so mm-hmm. rather than waiting, you know, a few months for a pen test and then getting the results, we're now starting to see uh, security fit within the application lifecycle, so much so that devs can release code from their laptop and then, you know, an hour or so later get feedback or or even less, Mm -hmm. depending on what it is, obviously, get feedback around, you know, what what they could be doing better from a security uh, standpoint. And I think that's one of the things that's really going to help there. Probably the other thing is just communication. <laughs> it, it pays. How to you deliver your, yeah. you deliver your message? <laughs> yeah. Not by undermining the develop the developer. Yeah. Very smart dude. Just doesn't yeah. have the context. Yeah. No. No. For sure. And it's a valid point because I've seen that a lot too. Uh, you and me both. So that sort of moves me to my next question. What do you believe is on the horizon for this space? Like what's the future look like? And what do you think is going to evolve and the roadmap looking forward? Because I guess it is still a new mm. behavioral change that we spoke about and is kind of new, but what do you yeah. think will end up happening uh, over time? Yeah. So when I first started exploring this uh, beast, I thought it was around things like helping organizations to achieve compliance easier So using some kind of configuration management tool to ensure that operating systems were configured with specific hardening guidelines that are compliant with whatever checklist, such as NIST or PCI or whatever. Um, And instead, um, it took a totally different change and it's focused more into AppSec. Along that journey, um, there was still a lot of focus on infrastructure security. Um, So for example, the ability to smash a box and rebuild an environment rapidly and uh, test a recently redeployed application that's been patched in a, a standalone isolated environment for the purpose of system integration and functional testing. And now, you know, now that there have been some good examples of that in the real world, the focus is shifting entirely to AppSec. And I think that's good because so has the technology landscape as well. There's less of a focus on infrastructure from a development standpoint and a deployment standpoint. The uh, introduction of Docker images certainly uh, contributed to that and other technologies such as serverless. And so I see it continuing down that path. And I've tried my best to keep up as well. You know, we've we've delivered some very cool solutions, which, you know, not only uh, take advantage of the kinds of technologies that are available, but implement them in a, in a sensible way. So, for example, take a, a, take a CICD 
pipeline of yesteryear where you develop, you know, a Node.js and test it with, say, Sonicube and then deploy it through various environments and promote it when the app hits staging. Um, you know, you, you don't need to call the security guy to run some vulnerability analysis from <laughs> Nessus or Acunetics. You can just press a button now. Um, you know, so things like that are really, really helping to sculpt the uh, the direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's pretty exciting. I'd say like another thing uh, as well would be it'll fast track things uh, to go live as well. In my experience, totally. you had a whole project and you, like you said, you call old made up the security guy do a test, you've got all yep. these problems and, uh, yeah, cool, we now can't go live. Everyone no, starts no, arguing. Totally I've been right. in those meetings. You've yeah. got you've got senior people who've got no clue what they're signing off because of the risks that you've identified. <laughs> Are yep. you sure? Yes, we'll go yeah. ahead. And then and it, look- it becomes a political play then and it actually then becomes <laughs> less about this security. I've been there at the coalface myself, yeah. some of these meetings, yeah. and there's literally like 50 people in these meetings. You've got like the service owner, the production manager, this other dude, the developer, and you've got all these people that are looking at you that are stressed because you're yeah. like, well, can't go live with this. So I think over time it'll actually help uh, expert all of these projects going live and not holding them up. And it costs a lot of money, right? Because yeah, at the no. end of a project, you've got no money left. And then when you've got to pay internal security teams that are upwards of 200K plus because of all the testing and stuff, that's when it gets really awkward yeah. because then their project can't go live. And a lot of these project managers uh, – probably contractors, they're getting KPI'd on their uh, go-live dates and then you're prohibiting them. And then it just becomes like, oh, we hate you guys, you guys are the police. And so that's a change that I'm seeing with talking to people as well in industry and and the things that I've been, that I've seen in my own career about that that awkward security thing at the end and then there's a big blow up. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you're totally on the money and that's a big driver for us. That's (laughs) a major reason why I see a lot of value in delivering the services that, that we're now doing. And it's in that rapid iteration, you know, and yes. if we go, if, if we go back to what I said earlier, we're taking the example of the developer who goes to the security team and there's all of a sudden there's these massive roadblocks. If you can minimize those, mm-hmm. those roadblocks as in still provide feedback back to developers, but do it in smaller chunks quickly rather than here's a huge mm. report, you know, yeah. spend the next 10 months fixing all these problems. <laughs> you you yeah. need security to line up with the speed of development. Um, put simply, that that is one of the biggest drivers for DevSecOps. And um, that's where some of our customers are probably getting the most value. Um, it's being able to, as I said, iterate on products quickly, rapidly, um, and most importantly, uh, deliver them reliably in a secure fashion. The, the advent of, of continuous security testing uh, within a production software pipeline, um, as some simple examples like Sonicube for SaaS testing, running Burp Suite Enterprise to actually fuzz an application, um, or a specific feature of an application, you know, Metasploit, Nessus, Qualys, Acunetics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can plug all of these tools in now. And just like you wouldn't configure a SaaS tool to run around the entire code base of an application each time you're making a PR, uh, you know, just, just run it on, on small chunks, run it on what you're actually working on. Still do the other larger testing, but do it out of band. Um, we've been working pretty closely with another security company called Devon here in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. So not only yep. architect pipelines like this, but also provide a, a managed SaaS uh, layer on top of that, which has proven to be pretty interesting. Um, so we'll see where that goes. But, you know, they're, they're the kinds of things that you need to start considering in order to be able to have security keep up with the speed of development. 
Okay, rapid fire, five things you can suggest to an organization after now listening to this interview that they can implement. <laughs> sure, sure. So probably what I just said. <laughs> is, I was just going to say, now you have to repeat what you said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, five things. Okay, cool. So look, to start off, you need the basics. Familiarity with best practices from public cloud providers. If you're in the cloud, and all of these providers have a security section, become familiar with them. Um, often none of these are followed, which is shameful to see. It's just shameful to see. And it's it's not just uh, internal people that are responsible for this. I've, I've seen, I've had to come in and pick up the pieces from other consultancies, and I won't, you know, name names. I'm not in the business of that. But if you can't implement these bare minimum practices, um, which are realistically the foundational building blocks that you need. Um, how can you plan on building out more advanced capabilities? Um, so I'd start there. Another thing is understand where you are before you start thinking about where you want to be. Going back to that whole organizations and, and people, hell, I'm even guilty of this in the past. Uh, a lot of people want to try and run or, or sprint before they can walk or even crawl. Uh, and so uh, that's one of the reasons why I came up with the assessment model to evaluate how mature not only DevSecOps, but also DevOps uh, bodies of work are, um, because I really think it's important to help businesses understand, you know, where, where they actually are at in terms of not only technology or tools, but also the processes that they're using around software delivery and also, you know, the, the people. Um, culture is a, is a big issue. That's probably two, uh, three. It's not going to hurt to get, you know, some incentive-driven uh, training for developers uh, and staff on, say, uh, you know, CTFs or bug bounties. Um, a lot of people have had some good good and bad success with platforms such as you know, Secure Code Warrior, uh, Pentester Labs, probably a, one of my, my favorite ones. You know, there, there's no reason why staff can't do these types of things in their own time. But, hey, if it's incentivized, you know, like a, a competition or something, that's going to be pretty, pretty, you know, interesting to people and part of what we do as in A&M, is people and process-based education. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about security shifting to the left and a shared responsibility model between devs and security team members alike. And, and so I, I think it's, it's important to actually frame that. Another thing, you know, as a dev, you know, the security guys aren't going to bite you. They, they don't bite. Go and spend a little bit of time with your red team or your blue team if, if you, you can. I'm sure it will be valuable. And I guess finally, the benchmark evaluation from a team of experts experience in the field helps a lot too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for reiterating those points again. Uh, no just, problem. Just an easy way for people to sort of get a recap of things, the things that you've sort of talked about. So I really appreciate yeah. you sharing your story, your insight, your knowledge. If people uh, want to reach out to you, how can they go about doing that? I'm available on LinkedIn, obviously. You can contact me there or alternatively, uh, hit our website up. My email is matthew at am.com.au and I will happily field any questions. I also run the DevSecOps Sydney meetup, so you can find me there and stay tuned because there is an event upcoming soon where we may be doing a prize giveaway, so awesome. that'll be fun. Incentive driving yet again. There we go, see? People <laughs> need to be scored and they want incentives. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Matt. I'm so glad that we finally got around yeah. to uh, doing the interview. And um, yeah, I really, I did learn a, a lot of things from you today and I'm sure our listeners did as well. I'm really glad to hear that. I think it went well. It was really lovely to talk to you, Carissa. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we hope you got some new ideas or ways of thinking from this episode. And remember, you can always reach out to our guests if you do have more questions. 
Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we always love to hear your feedback. So leave a review on iTunes and we might just give you a shout out on a future episode. You can find me on LinkedIn as well as on at I am Carissa Breen on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to know more about how we help tech companies, check out carissabreenindustries.com. Until next time, stay safer.